How do you use equity to purchase an investment property? Well, we're going to cover that exact topic in today's podcast with industry guru, Chris Bates from Wealthful. So welcome to episode two in this special bonus podcast series where we're looking at the property investing journey from start to finish. We're at episode two now, so we're very early on. We've figured out how to save for a deposit with Tom Momsen, and today we're talking to Chris about how to use equity in an existing property to purchase an investment property, whether it be your first or later on in your portfolio. Here's Chris. Chris Bates, thanks for joining me back on Geared for Growth. Awesome to be here, Mike. Appreciate the invite. Always a pleasure to chat to you, my friend, and uh, I'd recommend anyone checking out episode 48 for a detailed interview with uh, Chris, talking about all things lending and property investing, and of course, your podcast as well, Elephant in the Room. But today, we're talking about purchasing an investment property as part of our series and we're trying to do that without having to save for a deposit i.e we already own a home of our own uh, and we're using the equity in it to purchase an investment property it sounds pretty simple we call uh, a broker or someone like yourself and say we've got money sitting there so help us to rip it out and purchase an investment property this would be a quick episode right well, it, is a, it should be simple once you sort of know what you're doing. To actually do it, it's actually quite easy. But actually deciding how to do it, what to buy, whether you should do other things, that's the key thing that um, makes it makes it difficult. What about someone that doesn't have their principal place of residence and, and we're talking about pulling equity from their first investment property because they're wanting to buy the second? What's the fundamental difference in doing that for just an investor as opposed to someone that's pulling it out of their own home? I mean, ultimately, whether you're going down either option, I think you really need to be very clear on what sort of your longer term life plan is and where you're going to live long term. If you're rent vesting, you know, am I going to, am I doing this so I can ultimately buy a home? And how am I actually going to achieve that? Because you can very easily buy multiple properties with no real strategy for that. So, but if you have got your home and you're happy there and you're likely to stay there long term um, and you, you maybe you've set aside money for a renovation or you have a clear idea of what you're <laughs> going to need for that. Then ultimately, All right. if um, and if that doesn't work, we'll try. Home, I'll go to really Zoom. Just going back to a bank, getting evaluation, testing how much you can borrow. Sometimes you've got to do that at multiple banks, um, and then release that equity, set up a pre-approval, and do it. So it's not really much different whether you're doing it on investment properties or a home. But I think before you do that, you've got to get very clear clarity on: Are you just buying properties, and then ultimately going to want to buy a home, and then may not be able to keep those properties to allow you to buy that home? So basically defeat the whole purpose. Yeah. So when it comes to that strategy that you've, you've referenced there, I guess it's a different thing between if you are, say, rent vesting and looking to pull equity for your second investment property or you have your first home to start with and you're looking at your first investment. Starting with, with, with that one, what are the sort of nuances there? I think people are a bit over-optimistic of what they can borrow and they just assume that their income's going to allow and a bank's going to approve them to keep their properties because you never sell a property and um, I should be able to borrow and keep that and use the equity. But what they don't realise, unfortunately, is when you go to the bank in the future, you want to keep your investment property plus buy a home. That means you've got to borrow a lot of debt and you probably won't be able to do that, especially if you want to buy a house in, say, the capital cities. And so... Um, that's where it sort of gets a problem. I mean, even this morning, a client bought an investment property a year ago. It's done okay. But ultimately, by buying that, they shot themselves in the foot. They can't up buy their first home. And it's just about if they had that 
thought a year ago, they would have said, well, let's buy the home first and then let's buy an investment property after. Um, so that's the real sort of concern, um, buying an investment property before a home. And is that the big sort of concern there is that if you don't think about the strategy of, well, one day we do want to buy the dream home, we don't necessarily want to have our investment property portfolio derailed because we're in a position where the banks won't give us the money, they require us to sell investments? Yeah, because when people look at the property, they go, well, it washes its own face, you know, it services itself because the rent covers the interest and the cost. But that's not how a bank looks at it. Unfortunately, a bank will look at the rent and then haircut that rent by 20%. So if you're getting $1,000 a week rent, you are, in the bank size, that's only $800 a week rent, which is around 40 grand a year. And a bank will lend you roughly six times that 40000 So that's about 240000 uh, but you're not going to be able to buy a million dollar, a thousand dollar a week rent property for two hundred and forty thousand. So what you need to do is the income to be able to support that. So you can't. Those days of being able to just constantly buy investment properties was when you could leverage your income much further, and the bank's borrowing capacities were much more aggressive. You could potentially borrow 10, 11 times, even up to twelve times income. In today's terms, getting anything more than six or seven times income is much. Uh, is difficult. So, you know, it's, it's very difficult to keep on buying investment properties based on rental income. You really need a strong income to be able to buy multiple investment properties. The Give for Growth Property Investing Podcast is presented by our business, MCG Quantity Surveyors. If you're an investor or a property professional looking to get the best tax depreciation deductions for yourself or your clients, please get in touch with us at mcgqs.com.au. It's our mission to help as many property investors as we can to maximise their claims and maximise their property education as well. That's a really interesting point because you hear, uh, and and perhaps this is much more back in the day, but people that are in the property investing game would always talk about purchasing investment property. You know, getting the the uplift either be via capital growth or or doing some value add, stripping the equity and going again, rinsing and repeating. I mean, how easy is that these days? How how many clients do you see doing that as part of their property investing strategy? Is just pulling the equity and going again and again so the only way that's possible is if someone's not using all their servicing capacity when they're buying that property but they're they're limited by the equity so they say you might only have a hundred thousand of equity in cash and that means they could buy a property at say six hundred thousand um whereas if they had uh then they but they realistically from an income point of view they could potentially buy a property at 1.5 million or something like that so they've got really strong incomes but what they're doing is having to buy a cheaper investment property because they've only got limited equity. So if they could get more equity, whether they manufacture that through renos or whether the market goes up or whether they save, then they've still got capacity up their sleeve because they've still got really strong incomes. Basically, using even if you get a buyer property and you get equity, doesn't mean you can use that equity because a bank will say, well, hang on a sec, you're already capped out. You, your income's are, say, 150000 and you've already got a million dollars of debt. So we can't go on and lend you another 500000 for another property. So ultimately, if you want to keep on building a property portfolio, you do need a strong income plus equity. It's not You can't just rely on equity. So I can remember renovating my first property and redrawing the equity and thinking this investing stuff is just absolutely easy. Um, I don't think I've necessarily um, felt it as easy as, as I did then ever since. But 
for these people that you know, you, we hear a lot about these media stories. You know, I'm I'm 25 with 30 properties, or I'm 21 and I've got six properties. The the the, the multi portfolio young guns that are out there getting these 20 and 30 um, portfolios are, are they typically going to be people that are buying cheaper style properties that are really really positively geared like how is the bank enabling someone in their 20s to get 30 properties on a reasonable income um absolutely they potentially could be buying cheap properties so that's how you can buy 10 100,000 properties rather than a million dollar property they could be getting high yield properties but even high yield there's a limit on what a bank would use they're not going to if you rent out rooms or um, etc so and there's always a limit of what you can potentially rent a property for but once that gets haircut it's still not going to be enough to go and buy multiple properties so you know in the day back before 2015 absolutely you could have leveraged your income massively especially if you're living at home with no rent you're paying minimum living expenses you could add all the rental incomes on and you could potentially just keep on going. That's not the way bank servicing works anymore. And so maybe they've done it in the past, but today you wouldn't be able to get these loans. Just keep on buying properties based on rental income um, and uh, without a strong income. Yeah, there's obviously too much risk uh, for the bank there. Now, if if using equity to purchase is champagne, then saving for a deposit is cough medicine. I'm sure. I mean, let's get back to to the point. We, we've in this scenario, we've we've got um, we've got our own home. We've got equity there. Whether it's gone up in value or we've we've purchased well or on a on a low LVR. What what are your best tips for? taking that equity out and, and getting started in this property investing game? So the first thing is you want to get a good valuation on your property. And so you can go to your existing bank and just order a valuation. It's very simple. And what they'll do is, let's say it comes in at a million dollars and 80% of that is what they'll lend to. So that's 800. And your loan is, say, 500. So that's a good result because you've got $300,000 of equity, which should be more than enough deposit on the next property, plus keep money back for a buffer. So the first tip is, you know, first to get a good valuation, but also make sure that you keep money back as a buffer. Don't just use all your equity and have no money left over at the end because if your value of your property does fall a little bit or the property you purchase falls a little bit, you can get yourself very easily stuck at lenders with, with not being able to refinance. Or if anything goes wrong with the property, you don't get a tenant, you do lose maintenance or something happens in your personal situation, don't use all your equity have no buffers when you first purchase. Yeah, and, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's that's excellent advice and I think that that's one of the things that people overlook is is having a buffer because if you get into a situation where, you know, a, a relatively minor expense, um, let's say it's, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for a hot water system or or perhaps something a little bit bigger, you don't want to be forced to sell because you didn't have five or ten grand uh, to be able to, to, to look after it. Um, what else have you got for us, Chris? The next thing is, is I think, really don't just buy an investment property with the idea of sort of hotspotting and flipping and this sort of continued sort of approach. I think that the challenge with that is the buyers and sell costs of properties um, are enormous. You know, you're talking potentially 10%, and then you've got to pay capital gains tax on any growth that you make, plus there's always sunk costs, et cetera, that, um, and you're always trying to pick the market, and you've got to get enormous returns. So I think... That's the next thing that I think people get it wrong with investment properties. 
is they sort of have this idea of you're going to buy this hotspot and then you're going to buy another and buy another and that quantity strategy. Um, I think you're much better off sort of really looking at your earning capacity, trying to increase your borrowing capacity as much as you can, Look, making sure you keep buffers and buy one quality asset that you can sort of buy and hold long term and focus on the quality of asset, not just kind of saying to your friends that I've got four properties. Just be confident in your head. I've got one property, but it's an amazing property that I'm never going to have to worry about. Yeah, that's great advice. And that really flies in the face of some of the sort of ego metric style property investing that we talked about before, where it's, you know, 10 properties in 10 years and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, one good quality blue chip asset could be better than 10 um, cheap regional uh, ones in, in mining towns, for example. Is there anything else you think we should know? I mean, ultimately, I think um, sometimes people also think that you need a 20% deposit for the investment property. And so what you, I don't really like to recommend clients, unless they've already paid lender's mortgage insurance when they first purchased a property, to refinance their equity up over 80%. You know? But if you have paid lender's mortgage insurance at a bank because you purchased a property, you can actually reuse that LMI and you've actually got more equity than 80%. So that's a, a tip a lot of people don't know. But on your next property, once you refinance up to 80% on your current value property, you don't need to pay a 20% deposit on your investment property. I'd always aim for at least a 10% deposit plus 5% for stamp duty. But if you can, a 12% deposit plus 5% for stamp duty. So 17% times what you want to purchase is sort of the deposit you want to aim for. Because if you go for the 20% deposit, you're going to potentially use a lot more of your equity um, and have a lot less buffer. And lender's mortgage insurance is tax deductible over five years and it's not too expensive at 88%. So I think a big mistake sometimes investors make is they pull their equity out and then they use all the equity to pay a 20% deposit and leave themselves with no buffer. So don't be afraid of paying a bit of lender's mortgage insurance on investment properties. That, that's an interesting one because there are a lot of people that would, would, would talk about lenders' mortgage insurance as being you know, a necessary evil and if you're buying a, a, a good performing asset, then it's worth paying for it. Others say avoid it if you can because you're going to have a, a nicer LVI anyway. But if we're using LMI for the, the first property and then we say revalue that back to 80%, does that mean that the insurance for LMI can pass to the second property? Is that what you're saying? No, but let's say you purchased a property for uh, you know a million dollar property at 90% and you paid, mm-hmm. I don't know, $15,000 mortgage insurance at, I don't know, Westpac, let's say. And three years later, you go back to Westpac and you say, oh, now it's worth $1.2 million. Well, because you paid LMI at that lender, you don't have you can actually redraw up to say ninety percent again. And uh-huh. let's say you paid fifteen thousand dollars of lender's mortgage insurance, you'd only pay the gap. And if it was say sixteen thousand dollars, you might just pay an extra thousand dollars. So you can actually, because you you've already paid lender's mortgage insurance on that property at that bank, you can actually just reuse it when you're pulling equity out. And not all banks will offer that. But it is something to bear in mind when you have got equity and you have paid LMI at that bank, consider reusing that LMI to get a bit more extra equity out. That, yeah, that's great advice. Let, let's say we purchase the, the the principal place of residence uh, at an 80% LVI yep. and it's grown in value and we're now wanting to to revalue that to to say a 90% LVI. Can you sort of retrospectively take L, uh, LMI out on sort of the new um, loan-to-value ratio? 
On the new property, yes, so you get a 90% loan on the new property, that'll be no problems. But getting 90% on your property when you've never paid LMI is a really risky strategy in the bank's eyes and they won't really want to do it. Um, reusing LMI is a little bit easier, but if you're having to pay LMI on your home because you're trying to leverage up to the nth degree, a lot many banks will want to do it um, and they'll want a really strong application. So you're trying to borrow a lot less than you can afford. Um, and so you just got to be, it's a highly risky strategy because what you're doing is you're paying LMI on your home and you're paying LMI on your investment properties and you're borrowing at 90% across your whole portfolio. Mm. There's not much buffer for the bank in that situation. So what they want to do is see other buffers like really strong income. Yeah. So to recap, for someone that's um, that's wanting to pull equity out of their principal place of residence, I assume most banks will let you get to 80% um, yeah. of your loan to value ratio. And it's as simple as talking to your bank or your broker and getting that valuation as, as good as possible. Um, and then you're away. Yeah, and don't be afraid to swatch, switch banks. You know, everyone gets too tied to a bank. Just you know, if you even if you fix your rate, consider a break lock fee. See what it is. Compare what your better deal is another bank. Um, you know, it is valuations always come in more conservative than you hope, and you always think your property is worth more than it probably is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you just got to really potentially shop valuations. You can see massive discrepancies, even if two different values came on the same day. Um, but also, um, yeah, shop the market there once you've got your good valuation. Um, also, with the pre-approval, don't have to do it at the bank that you take your equity out of because every bank will lend you a different amount of money. If you walk into someone like an ANZ, they're a little bit more conservative than if you went into an a, uh, a CBA. I'm not suggesting you walk into these banks. I'd go and see a good broker. But um, ultimately, you need to shop the market um, on the pre-approval just as, as you do on the refinance. Yeah, excellent. So to recap on your, your three tips, um, it's important to have a buffer, so don't don't draw it all out. Um, avoid the hot spotting stuff. Um, make sure you're looking at quality assets over the long term um, and, and don't necessarily go over uh, 80% um, and, and think about the ability to, to reuse your LMI as well. Um, be very careful on your cash flows, the final one, if I throw it in there, Michael. Yeah, please. Ultimately, you really want to, um, make sure you really can afford it. And I think people, two people are very, very aggressive and, you know, optimistic and then there's people very conservative and neither probably are, are going to help you. I think the ultimately you've got to get very good at your cash flow and minimise your costs. And so managing your existing mortgage, extending your loan term, getting yourself a really good rate, considering fixed rates and on your investment property, looking at things like interest only and fixing your loan so you, you don't have to concern about rates rising things like that so get very clear on your cash flow and by buying a quality assets quality assets are always easier to sell but they're always easier to rent because ideally they're in locations where there's a scarcity of that property and there's a short a real demand from a, a strong tenant um, and so you don't really have to be worried about tenants on good properties and even in things like COVID, they were still renting fine so buying a good asset will give you a good tenant and managing your cash flow with you know risk management tactics around LMI and fixing and and all those sort of things. So, if you are in that position where you're strong equity, you're keen to stay in your home, you've got good incomes, and you can afford to buy an investment property, there are ways to manage your risk dramatically and get a quality asset. The biggest one. I love that absolutely sterling advice and the same sort of straight bat you use to uh, to knock them through the uh, through the gaps in the outfield on the uh, 
on the Elephant in the Room podcast. That's about as much as I can push metaphors in general, let alone cricketing ones. Um, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you. And, and, and can I just say for, for anyone that's listening out there, if you've, if you've got value out of that, then please I'd love you to share that in, uh, in a, a written review on the podcast or forward to a friend. Uh, just helps get the word out there. But Chris, thank you very much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, pleasure, Mike. And, and the other tip I didn't say for investors is get a depreciation report. The amount of people I've seen have it done that over the years um, is astounding and uh, it can always surprise you. Uh, it did for me multiple times as well. So get your depreciation report. Love it, mate. Checks in the mail for that one. <laughs> Talk to you soon.